Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jimmy Tingle Show. We have taken a little bit of a break over the holidays, but we are back. And I am back with an old friend and a fantastic comic who is coming to Boston, the Boston area, March 14th and 15th to the Cabot Theater in beautiful Beverly, Massachusetts. Please welcome the one and only Mr. Gary Goldman. Ah, thank How you, are you Gary. It's so great to be back. It's it's great to see your face, and and I, I'm always happy to see you. You you're always a, a very positive, encouraging friend and mentor. <laughs> well, thank you, Gary. And I have to say, you your your power of example is just your work, man. What you do and the way you do it, and okay. the, the work ethic that you've demonstrated over the years, it's, it's incredible. I was just on the website, GaryGoldman.com, folks, if you'd like to check out his website. All his tour dates are there. So wherever you are in the country, he's going to be very, very busy in 2024. Um, but And he's got a new book out. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his process in comedy. And that's what I love about you, Gary. The work ethic is amazing. And the, the amount of material that you turn out is, uh, it's just really so impressive. And it's very, very inspiring. So you got me psyched to talk to you today because I know you have a new book out. And I'm so happy to talk to you about your book because I have so many questions. First of all, what was the inspiration for writing the book? I think that since I've been old enough to really, to, well, first of all, to read, but also understand the, <laughs> understand the mechanisms of, of books. I've just been in love with, with reading and books and, and admired authors, but there was also a part of me that was in awe of them. And so, mm -hmm. but, but throughout my life, I've always thought, this would be interesting in a book. Certain things would, would happen, uh, events, positive and negative. And I would think this is, this would be a very interesting story for a book. And then after I, I put out the great depression, which was my last special before this current mm -hmm. one that just came out. Um, I was approached by a number of publishers and they said, do you have a, do you have a story to tell or a book idea? And there was an idea that I had had for a long time. And it was, it was called at the time K through 12. And it was just a memoir of my life from kindergarten through 12th grade. I have an unusual memory for, for most of my life, but, but what was unusual was that most people don't remember kindergarten or the first day of first grade or seventh grade or whatever. But mm -hmm. for some reason I have this, this vivid, all these vivid memories of my time there. And so I pitched them that idea and they were amenable to it and matched me with an editor who I felt would be a good guide, a, a man who had written his own books and also had edited among others, a book that Bob Newhart had written. And mm. so I thought, Oh, this will, I won't have to do it by myself. This man will be able to point me in the right direction and give me guidance. And so that was, that enabled me to overcome sort of that awe of authors and, and the fear of, of failure and things like that. And, and, and so it took me over, over two years to do it closer to three years, but I, I, I put it together and, and I got to the point where I would read it and I wouldn't cringe from the, mm -hmm. from the writing, which is sort of something that artists 
or writers and comedians understand that either reading yourself or watching yourself, you think, oh, oh I'm so embarrassed and, and right. can literally cringe. And then I so that's where it got in the in the book. And luckily, it coincided with about the time we were going to going to uh, send it to print. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I, I think it I think it works. And I've gotten really remarkable feedback from from people who were fans of my comedy, but also people who are just discovering me through this book. So I've been really grateful. Yeah. Well, the name of the book is Misfit. Now, where did that title come from, Gary? <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite questions to answer because <laughs> I I was originally going to call it K through 12, right. but then I was informed that if you if you type K through 12 into a search engine, millions of things will come up before your book. There are too many things. It's been out there. This expression for too many too grammar long. schools. Yeah, it would be every grammar, grammar school, school. <laughs> on North America. Yeah, so <laughs> I I'm a big fan of the the rock band Rush, and they had this wonderful song that came out in 1982. But I probably intersected with it much later than when it originally came out. And there was a line about growing up in the suburbs, and and the line was. Nowhere is the dreamer or the misfit so alone. And it, and it always resonated with me uh, as a dreamer and a misfit and a lonely person. And, and, and I remember how much solace and, and so, sort of comfort that song gave to me. And I, I felt like this book was intended partially to provide comfort for other people who, who felt uncomfortable or didn't fit in. And, and it's most of us. Most of us have been in a position where, for whatever reason, the, the company we were in or the school or the sports team or the, the jazz band or whatever it was, we felt like an outsider or a misfit or a new person or, or just uncomfortable. And I wanted to provide some some comfort for those types of people the way that song had had made me feel a little bit better. There's just this idea that somebody is saying, oh, you're not alone. A lot of us have felt that way and and it's okay to mm -hmm. feel that way. And you shouldn't, the, the main thing is you, you shouldn't beat yourself up for feeling uncomfortable and, and you don't have to take pride in your, in your <laughs> not fitting in, but you can. And also you can feel like you're, you're not a loser or a failure if you're, if you don't feel like you're, fitting in. And, and in many cases, it's just a matter of time before you do find a, a community that you that you fit in. I mean, that was really what I found when I first started doing comedy in 1993 in, in Boston at Nick's Comedy Stop. Right. And and I, I felt, oh, this this feels so comfortable. I'm 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 not 100 percent accepted, yeah. but there were guys like you and Don Gavin and Tony V who really embraced me yeah. and, and were positive and, and encouraging and complimentary. And it just, and, and for a kid who grew up watching or going to Nick's comedy stop and seeing you guys or at the comedy connection, it was, it was surreal. It was, a, it was a, literally a dream come true. Yeah. When you find your tribe, 
It's yes. so memorable and you immerse yourself in it. And that's exactly what happened to me in, t- in terms of comedy as well. I, I mean, the Ding Ho Comedy Club opened up like two blocks from where I grew up. Wow. And Lenny Clark was the host of the Wednesday night show. And Barry Cremens was the, you know, the Wednesday night open mic show. And I went to high school with Lenny. Okay. He was a year ahead of me. But the people that um, started, you know, the, the other comics, we were all in our early 20s. So you, so all of a sudden, um, there's these people coming in, making things up on stage. And I was trying to make stuff. I was doing poems. I tried to yeah. play the blues. I mean, I tried different right. ways of expression, you know. But anyway, but I can remember being in the Ding Ho and like Paula Poundstone, Mike Donovan, Goldthwaite. Cremens, uh, Mike McDonald, uh, you know, Lenny, of course, uh, his, his friends and family. I mean, it was an, um, Jack Gallagher and just all the comics that were just there, all of us just making stuff up in this one place that was like a, a, a community. And I just, I got a job there. I became the daytime bartender. I just lived at the place for like three years. <laughs> and my friends were saying, Ting, when are you going to get out of your comedy cocoon? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just th- this idea, this place for, for somebody, especially us who are either artistic or different or, or more sensitive that we feel like we can be ourselves and not ridiculed or, or, or insulted or anything, or sometimes we are ridiculed or insulted, but there's a, there's a good naturedness about it. And there, there's also a, a, a great deal of, of warmth that I felt almost immediately when I started going to open mics in, in the city. Yeah. Well, I hear you, and I know a lot of uh, every comic out there is going to identify with that because there's nothing like finding your tribe. So, Gary, um, so the book, Misfit, you, it took you like almost three years to write, but this is what I'm talking about with your work ethic. In that period of time, you also did The Great Depression, and you also did your newest special. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, your newest special, Born, Born on Third Base. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had finished, I had put out the great depression by the time I started writing the the book. I I really, the interest for me writing a book came from the popularity of the, the great depression. So the, Mm -hmm. the interesting thing was I, I had a year where I wasn't doing any stand up because of the pandemic and I was, I was writing the book. So I had a head start and momentum and then it was just a matter of putting aside four hours each morning to work on the book. And then the rest of the day, I could, I could do some stand-up at night. And unlike when I, was, when I was first coming up where I would do two, three shows a night, I, I was probably doing six or seven shows total per week. So maybe two or three on a, on a Friday or Saturday or both. And so I, I had a lot of free time. I mean, the, the lifestyle of yeah. a, of a comedian is, is really amenable to writing a book because you have that free time. And also you're, you're used to writing and thinking and, and being in your head. So I, I, it wasn't a huge adjustment to go from writing stand up to writing, writing a memoir because a lot of my, my jokes were, were 
personal and autobiographical anyhow. So I, I will say I did I did have more discipline than the average person and certainly the average comedian has, but I I just the other thing was that I, I really enjoy my work. I enjoy writing sentences and funny sentences and, mm-hmm. and performing. So it's it's never been something where I, it was drudgery or I or I didn't look forward to to performing it or sharing it or or writing and and it wasn't it wasn't all a breeze in writing the book and that I had to learn how to write in general memoir and then this particular memoir in specifically but for the most part I I I found it to be an enjoyable an enjoyable way to spend a few hours every day. I know there are some writers who are writing from the moment they wake up until after dinner and they're, and it's something you can build an endurance for and a tolerance for. But I, I found that I was able to, to keep up with, with deadlines with three or four hours a day, some days, one hour, some days, six hours, but on average three to four hours each, each day, and and the other thing that I would recommend anybody writing a book is to be really careful about taking one day off because it becomes that much easier to take that that second day off and 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 that's when you lose your momentum and you have to rebuild your your endurance. Right. And it must have been helpful like you said to have somebody that you're answering to like you said you're on a deadline you're just not yeah. in your own head like i'm going to write a book and uh, you know and then you have no one no one else knows you're writing a book you're the only one that knows you're doing it and you right. don't have anybody asking you how's how's it going <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah. And when you i imagine you got some sort of an advance i did i i, I got a very generous yeah advance and that keeps you honest but also there's this thing where where you people understand where most comedians can't really say well i can't tomorrow because well what you're a comedian you work at night but when you're writing a book you can say i need to write tomorrow so i'm not going to be able to meet you for lunch i'm not going to be able to go play basketball whatever it is and that that's very helpful that that people people you you have this this legitimate excuse for for not dilly dallying, right? And um, I was I imagine your discipline as an athlete, like when I get when I have to do something, I go back to like getting ready for the game. You know, I played sports as well in high school basketball, and I'm getting ready for the game. So like I'm I'm like stretching, I'm warming up, I'm getting my game face on. And that's how I look at my sets. That's how I look at all my shows. I probably put in an inordinate amount of time doing that. I write out my sets, everything. But anyway, I imagine that, but that, that for me, that came from sports. That came from, you're going to be out there in front of people. You bet, It doesn't matter if you got a hit two weeks ago, you need to get a hit tomorrow or yes. whatever the case may be, you know? And the same thing I imagine. So did that discipline of sports help you in this whole preparation for life in this comedy career? Because you wrote Gullman's tips as well, which was about <laughs> writing and just write. Yeah. And I mean, that was an amazing talk about sharing. That was an amazing piece of work as well. If anybody's interested, Gullman's tips, you can tell them more about it because it's really helpful no matter what walk of life you're in, whether you're a writer or a comic musician or an accountant, it, it would really help you. Oh, if 
Sure, I've I've heard that, and thank you. But one hundred percent, the the discipline and the lesson of sports for me was always, and you can get it from a number of different avenues, whether it's art or music or languages. But the lesson was quickly. I learned that if you put in effort, you would get better at this thing. And, and it was so gratifying to just, when I first started playing basketball, I couldn't dribble behind my back. And then I did it over and over and over again and, and still couldn't. And then one day you do it and you do it poorly and then you do it a little bit better and, and it just, it pays off. And that, that I discovered so quickly. And I, and I, I had an inkling that that would be the case because it worked in my schoolwork and it, and it worked in, in other things that I've pursued, but it, it works in comedy. The more time you spend thinking about comedy and writing it down and keeping track and preparing. I mean, that was a great lesson I learned from being a, a fan of, of John Wooden, the, the UCLA coach. He, he used mm-hmm. to say, I think, failing to prepare is is preparing to fail. So like you do with your with your sets and your set lists, I do the same exact thing. I am always so prepared, especially when I'm doing a, a special taping or a, or I did a late night with Seth, which the the secret is that the even though I wasn't doing stand up, I was doing a panel, but I also prepared with the producer as to what what things I wanted to talk about and I and I was prepared and it relieves you of a lot of doubt and insecurity because you've, and, and Wooden says this also is this confidence comes from doing everything you can prepare to do to prepare. And then you, you let go and, and the anxiety frequently lifts when you've done the preparation. And I, and I found that to be the case and that that's the greatest lesson I, I learned from, from sports, but there are other avenues if you're not athletically inclined that you can you can learn that through music or or a language or art or or there are countless outlets. Sure. So on the book tour, Gary, my wife and I, Catherine, we uh, we saw um, David Sedaris at Symphony Hall in Boston. And he's amazing. He's not a stand-up comic, but he's an amazing writer, and he's hilarious. And when we saw him, it made me, A, want to write a book, but also understand that you can be in front of whatever he had, 3,000 people at Symphony Hall, and he's reading, and everybody's just paying attention. And when the jokes or the funny parts come, everybody laughs. And when the serious things come, people just, you know, withdraw and absorb it. And it was just so, again, just very, very inspiring. When you're doing your shows, I know all of your shows until May, at least, are the book tour. That's what you're calling it. But is there stand-up involved? Is there reading involved? Have you done any yet? And how is that going to work? Yeah, I, I actually, I'll explain it. I don't do any reading from the book for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think anybody does it as well as David Sedaris. The other thing is that I also I also put out an audio version of the book and so I feel like if they want to listen to me read the book, they can they can get that from the audio version. And also my my superpower or my main skill is that I'm a stand-up. And so I 
I had a, a bad experience in the 90s where I bought Jerry Seinfeld's book and I read it and it was expensive to me. And when I read it, it was just his act typed up and, and bound. And I, and I was very angry. And so I said over the years, as it became more likely that I would eventually be asked to write a book, I said, I, I will write a book, but I'm not just typing up my act and I'm not including jokes in there. And I don't want to sell people something they've already heard or, or read. So I'm going to write a book that isn't my act. But then I realized when I was planning this tour that I wasn't going, I didn't want to read from the book and I didn't want to do jokes or stories from the book. And so I had to come up with an entire 90 minutes of material that was based on the time period of the book. So they were stories from my childhood and high school and things like that. But I didn't want the people to read the book and then feel like, oh, he did this the other night. And it wasn't this is much this is much more specific or interesting or better. Or I liked it better when he told it on the stage. I didn't want them to comparing it. I wanted the, the stage show to be a, an accompaniment, a complement to the book. And so it was, would be two separate items. And, and so that's what you'll see. And, and some people will say that is uh, really hard. But for whatever reason, I've never been more creative or productive in my in my comedy. So it wasn't that, it wasn't that hard. I had some ideas. I wrote them mm -hmm. down. I, I, I workshopped them over the summer, probably 20 times. And, and I put together a, a, a very compelling, funny show that has themes and ideas presented in the books, but book, but none of the, none of the stories or anecdotes or jokes from the book. And I, and I, 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 it was a challenge, but I can't imagine doing it any other way. I, I don't, I enjoy watching David Sedaris read from his book. It's a great show. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anybody else mm -hmm. who can, who can do that that well. I don't, I like going to mm -hmm. meet authors and, and hear them take questions about the book, but I, I don't want to hear them read. And I don't, for a stand-up comedian to do questions and answers I think it's a little bit, especially at my level. I'm not a celebrity. I, I I don't have any any fancy anecdotes about meeting the president or anything. Or and so I I feel like my, like I said, my my one trick is that I I write I write good jokes. Mm -hmm. Will you be? Um, obviously, there'll be books at the Cabot Theater when people come. Uh, the first show's already sold out. I mean, excuse yeah. me, the, the 15th is just about sold out and there's still tickets for March 14th, folks. So but they're going very, very fast. Uh, will you be doing there'll be books there? You'll be signing them after the show? Yeah, I think I said that if you bring your book, I will I will sign it. I, I kind of assumed that everybody who was going to get the book would already have it. So I, I, I oh. we may have we may have some for sale there that night. I I, I think that's a good a good question to ask. But. Um, to be most prepared, I would bring my, my book and I'll, I'll sign it after the show in a, in a, in a meet and greet, because that's really what I wanted to, 
what I love about going to hear an author speak at a at a Barnes and Noble or at a library. I love to be able to to thank them for the book and meet them and take a picture. And and it's a like one time I met Ray Bradbury and I've seen I've seen Harlan Coben and met him and and other authors and it's just a it's a really special connection that you can make with a with a reader as a as an author and and so I I really get great great amount of joy from that. Right. Well, Gary, the first one is in uh, what's the Cornet Theater, the Cornet yeah, in the, L.A. Yeah, the Cornet. Yeah, the first of in the, L.A. Twenty Twenty Four. But I've been I've been touring it since September. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and and it's been going really. It's been so fun, and and the people have been so appreciative, and and I'm just I'm grateful because you know what it is to have an audience that's your own that are there yeah. to see you. It, it's a, it's right. a different. You can be yourself more. You can sort of lean into your your quirks and your your obscure and arcane references, right. and and so it's it's really. I don't. I, I think you were at the show I did in Beverly the last time where I was able to do such specific local geographic humor about the the two malls that we had near our house that <laughs> that were in in competition and and the people the people really appreciated it as long as they were aware of the of the two malls right <laughs> <laughs> well will will you be doing a Q&A with this audience um do you no, do any Q&A no I don't the do show? A Q&A but I I I after the show I meet the people and I give them more time than I think they're expecting. So if they do have a question, I, I normally mm -hmm. answer the the questions. But the the it's I I've always found that the comedians who do Q and A seem to be trying to have the audience set them up for jokes that they are familiar with. So I remember seeing Jerry Seinfeld when I was in college, and he said, "Are there any questions?" And people would just yell out when they were when they were asking the questions, they would really just say, uh, what do you think about socks and the laundry? And he would do a jokes about socks and the laundry. So it was, it, right. was, it was a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a cheat rather than a, a an honest component. Yeah. Um, when I was running for president, my show, Jimmy Tingle for president, people would, as I would open it up to Q and a, it was like oh, a press yeah, yeah, conference yeah. and people would say, and, and they would say, uh, I would get the same questions, many of the same questions every night, because what are you going to ask a satirical presidential candidate? Right, so I would right. end up giving the, uh, many of the same answers. And it oh, was wow. like, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. Who's your Mr. Tingle, President Candidate Tingle? Who's your vice president? I said, I've given that a lot of thought and I've determined after much prayer and meditation, I don't need one. What I do... <laughs> I love what it. I'm going to do is I'm video I'm video recording this this um, event tonight. Heaven forbid something should happen to me. You people watch the tape. You'll know what to do. <laughs> That's so good. So I love it. I had many many of those nights. But Gary, it's great to see you. I will see you on March fourteenth. Uh, My wife and I will be there, and we I can't thank you enough for doing the show today. We're going to be on. Uh, we're going to be obviously it'll be on the website jimmytingle.com but it's also going to be on WOMR down in Provincetown it'll be running the first week second week in February down there and uh anything we can ever do for you anything else you want to tell us Gab, before you leave 
Oh no, I think I, I think I'm good. It's just it's it's so great to be able to catch up and to be able to see Catherine well, and, and I'll see, I'll see you in March. All right, great. I, I have my final question though: Was it cathartic and was it helpful to do this? Are you glad that you did this book, this project? Yes, yes. I I think it really was helpful, and I would say to anybody. It doesn't matter if anybody ever reads it. It is it is therapeutic to write down memories and and analyze them. And I'm sometimes things that I would dredge up would upset me. And luckily, I have a very good therapist, and I was able to discuss that with with him, and we were able to get some perspective and some insight into it. So I think it's a it's a very healthy activity. And I I, I think people think that. If they're going to do an art, whether it's painting or or writing or memoir or a novel, that it has to be a big success in order for it to be any success. And I think most most art is is best enjoyed by by you on your own or by a, a close friend or family. It's it's just it's the act of creation and 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 crafting is an end in itself. And I and I I just hope people won't won't be deterred from doing something because they don't feel that it's going to be universally uh, embraced because you, you have no control mm -hmm. over that. And so even if you just put it in a drawer at the end and never show anyone, it's, it feels terrific. Gary, you got me excited. I'm spending four hours tomorrow morning with the <laughs> opening chapter. Well, oh, you got to build up to the four hours. You don't eat. Nobody can do it. Just set a timer for for an hour and sit there and make some sentences and then build up to it. I'm starting tomorrow with the four minute introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start at four minutes. It. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Four minutes, 14 minutes, 28 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Great to see you, Gary. Amazing. Congratulations. Right. Thank you so much. We'll see you in March Thanks, and continue success.